Hello, and welcome to Profiles, a program that introduces to WFIU listeners interesting people from Indiana, the United States, and the world. I'm Owen Johnson. Our guest on this occasion is Gerald Kern, Senior Vice President and Editor of the Chicago Tribune. Jerry, welcome to Profiles. Thank you very much, Owen. What first got you interested in journalism? first got interested in journalism when um, I was a, a kid and I was intensely interested in um, the space era. Uh, I was a you know, kind of a child of Sputnik, right? I remember going out and being fascinated by that and um, being able to see it go across the sky and um, found out that I could learn the schedule by going to the newspaper and find out all the you know passages are there in the in the newspaper and then as space shots um, were launched you know Gagarin and and then you know Shepard and Glenn uh, I went out to get the story from it was the Indianapolis News at the time the afternoon paper because I was totally absorbed and fascinated by that and um, uh, wanted to be an astronomer um, and then I've discovered that, hey, this thing, this newspaper is pretty interesting, too. And I really got interested in what was in the stories, the real-time history that was unfolding. And uh, I went down a completely different pathway. When did you decide it was going to be a career? I suppose I decided, um, frankly, rather late. Um, while I was interested in, you know, the news um, – I didn't really think about uh, making a profession out of it until I got down to uh, Indiana University. And th during the time, of course, it was a time of pol political activism and uh, a lot of new ideas. And it just seemed like journalism was at the, in the forefront of uh, driving those ideas and being the agenda setter for them. And um, it just became such a uh, kind of, you know, engrossing and alluring uh, Profession, uh, professional option that I decided rather late in my college career to, to to go into it. I suppose at that time it was somewhat like today that there was um, some debate about what journalism should be doing. Should it be an activist or should it just be reporting? Uh, I guess to use an example, if there was a demonstration going on in Dunmeadow outside the School of Journalism, did you participate or did you cover it? So I w did not have journalistic ethics uh, imbued into me at that point in my life. I absolutely participated. And then I would go out and cover things. So that's part of the great uh, experience of going to college is that you you learn all uh, manner of things and you do it by um, firsthand experience. Um, but the question that you, I guess, ask about what is the role of of the news, of, uh, say, newspapers, I mean it to stand in for all news media and journalism is, are you a, a detached observer or are you, you know, part of an advocacy? That debate has been going on from the very beginning and is going on today. Um, and in fact, it's my belief that in the world now with so much information available through so many channels, uh, I think we have to stand out and stand up for things. We have to mean something. Uh, and so that, I think, maybe puts us more in the center of of things than off on the sideline just observing in a cool, detached way, what's going on. What do you think was the biggest lesson you learned from your college days? 
my experience at, at Indiana taught me how to be a reporter. Uh, it taught me, uh, and that experience, and I think this applies to the college experience in general, helps you learn how to question, how to not just accept what is told to you as fact or, you know, uh, and be able to ask your own questions independently uh, generated about um, what is the truth, what's the facts, is a, is a certain opinion really valid or not. That's what I think a, a university experience is supposed to do. And I think being in journalism at that time um, only helped uh, accentuate that. So I think that's the valuable thing I got. I learned how to, how to question and try to find out the, the truth for myself. You have a fascination with history, don't you? I'm very interested in it. I think um, I don't consider myself a historian. I, um, I try to uh, read as much as I can. I read a fair amount about historical biographies. And I um, kind of draw on them uh, for, for lessons. I, I really believe that um, the choices that people make in their moments of truth is the place that history is made. And I see it in historical figures on, and the and the choices that they that they make. And I think to the extent that it can be something of a guidepost for you in your professional life or your daily life, it it's valuable. Is there some historical figure that particularly interests you? There are a number of them. Uh, I've spent some time reading Winston Churchill, um, and uh, Winston Churchill is. Um, I guess a hero of mine. He was um, a man who was um, uh, and spent a lot of time in exile, espousing beliefs that nobody, um, you know, shared. Um, and he sounded a warning, and he laid out a course of action, and no one paid any attention until the very storm that he predicted broke upon uh, the world, and um, people turned to him. And he was there with, I think, the inspiration to lead um, uh, his nation um, out of a very dark time. I think he's an example of maybe one man saving his nation. So I find him uh, um, utterly fascinating. Um, I think there are, there are others as well. Um, I think Harry Truman uh, is is um, an inspirational guy. He's a figure who... Um, the accidental president who no one very few people believed could were worthy of the of the mantle of the presidency after uh, after FDR but he was so grounded in his principles and who he was and he knew who he was and who he wasn't and that kept him straight and true and he turned out to be one of the great presidents um in American history so uh, i guess a good lesson from that is um you know, don't judge people too quickly. And, you know, people can be measured by their 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 courage and conviction in times of crisis. And we can't forget the famous Chicago Tribune headline, Dewey Beats Truman. Oh, yes, that's right. I have a story about that. You know, that headline, I think that um, is arguably the most famous newspaper ever, single edition newspaper ever published in ever. I can't think of another one that is more recognizable than that one. 
And that headline uh, haunted the Chicago Tribune for many decades. Um, I remember when I arrived there, um, it was every election day, there would just be this dread that would <clears throat> you could feel in the newsroom about we, you know, we do not repeat that uh, piece of history, right? Um, and so when I became editor, I mean, uh, I, uh, uh, you know, uh, obviously interested in history and um, inquired about that uh, paper, and we did not have a copy of it uh, at the Tribune Tower, certainly nothing that was displayed. Um, and so I went out and I secured one, um, found a really great copy, and I had it framed, a special frame case made for it, and it's on my wall in my office. And I embrace it because it's a, it's a phenomenal piece of American history that we are a part of, and there are fantastic lessons um, that come from that. Well, some of those things happened in the year 2000 as well. Yeah. People not knowing That's which right. way things were going to go. But I will add that they did not happen at the Chicago Tribune in 2000. Our headline was, As Close As It Gets. Okay. <laughs> what was your goal when you left Bloomington to go out into the world? I wanted to get into the profession and I wanted to write stories and, I mean, the, I wanted to have a fascinating career. I never expected to become editor of the Chicago Tribune. Uh, I thought I might aspire to be editor somewhere, sometime, but I, I wanted to have a career in journalism because I believed that it was one of the things that you could do that would make the world better. And um, I can't, I could believe that you actually got paid to do it. It was so much fun. Uh, so uh, went out into the into the world, and you know things. One thing after another happens, and I was actually talking to some young people. Um, there was a celebration of the School of Journalism's centennial that we hosted at Tribune Tower, and I was talking to some of the the Ernie Pyle scholars who were there, and I said, and they were very concerned about their careers and where they want to go and how do they plan for it. And I said, you have to have a general sense of direction. You have to, you can't be aimless. You need to know where you want to go. But it is a waste of time and energy to game out every step because life doesn't happen that way. There is no straight line between where you are now and where you're goal is. It's going to be a zigzag. There's going to be lots of surprises, and you need to enjoy the fact that there are going to be surprises. What was your first job? My first job, when I graduated, it was a tough economy, too, and it was very difficult to get jobs. And so I went to work for a weekly newspaper in my hometown of Indianapolis. And believe it or not, the first job I could get and I just wanted to get into the business, was selling advertising. And I started out and I, you know, I, you know, I knew I was probably making a mistake to, to do that. But I said, hey, I need a job and maybe this gets me closer. And I did that. And I did it for about six months. And I finally went to them and I said, I'm no good at this. I don't want to do it. What I really want to do is write stories and edit and so forth. And I'm going to put it on the table and say, you know, if you let me do that, I'll do a good job for you. If you don't, I'm fine. I'll walk away. You can send me on my way. And they said, okay. So 
my journalism career was launched in kind of an inauspicious way. What drew you later on to editing? Well, I was uh, drawn to editing uh, almost from the beginning. Not that I did not like reporting and writing. I like that too. But um, I like the notion of being the orchestra to conductor, uh, the person that could see um, how the whole piece of music came together. Uh, and I wanted to do that. I was fascinated by that. All the decisions, all the things that go into creating a a newspaper, I thought was utterly fascinating. And I knew that very early on that that's, that's what I wanted to do. Let's take a break here for some music. You've indicated you might be interested in hearing Hey Jude by the Beatles. Why? Well, I was asked about music, and I thought, well, okay, since I'm back here at the Indiana University campus, I would um, uh, sort of invoke some memories. And I remember Hey Jude being one of those um, evocative tunes that I heard while I was here. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Remember to let her into your heart. Then you can start to make it better. Hey Jude, don't be afraid You were made to go out and get her The minute you let her under your skin Then you begin to make it better That was Hey Jude by the Beatles, music chosen by our guest on Profiles today, Chicago Tribune editor Gerald Kern. You're listening to Profiles on WFIU. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. You've called Christmas Eve 1990 when you were offered a job at the Chicago Tribune the happiest day of your life. Certainly most people at that time thought newspapers were doing well. What other thoughts did you have? Well, let me amend that. It was the happiest day of my professional life. I've had happy days when I was married and when my kids were born. So this ranked close to that, but... um... I guess I'll say the reason why it was such um it was a happy moment because it seemed so improbable. Uh, I uh, got started in journalism and I, as I mentioned, I got started late. Um, I started uh, at the bottom. I didn't have any uh, internships. I did. I just didn't have any uh, entree to, um, you know, some of the pre- premier you know, newspapers or uh, media entities that others had at the time. And I, I really had to start at the bottom. And so I had worked my way up at uh, at uh, some other newspapers. I came up to the Chicago 
area to work for a paper called the Daily Herald, um, which took off and became, you know, uh, you know, the third largest paper in Illinois. And I became managing editor and and um, was doing really good work. I think we were doing great work there. Our staff was, and um, and one of the reasons uh, that we, um, you know, were competitive was that the Sh- Chicago Tribune would not hire anybody from the Daily Herald unless you had left and gone someplace else. You had to prove your worthiness by going somewhere else that was bigger and better. What that did was sort of bottle up a lot of talent there, a lot of really good young talent um, who liked the Chicago area, liked, you know, the fact that we were becoming, uh, the you know, sort of the third metro. And we just got better and better to the point where we were beating the Chicago Tribune on a lot of stories. Uh, so it was very gratifying when I got a phone call one day, and it was um, Ellen Sodeber, who was the metro editor at the Chicago Tribune, and she uh, asked me to come down to meet Dick Sacconi, who was the managing editor. You know, they reached out and contacted me, and I went down there and interviewed. and And then I interviewed with Dick on Christmas Eve of. 1990 and was offered a job and and I just thought it was one of those sort of peak moments in life where hey hard work did pay off after all so it was a it was a wonderful moment did you have any idea at the time where you might end up at the Tribune no i made the leap there and i and i thought well okay this is one of the top 10 papers in the united states and you know, I, I've always been um, sort of the uh, on the outside looking in. I wanted to see how far I could get. And so I'd say after I was there um, a couple of years, I got ambitious and said, hey, I'd like to be managing editor here. And I worked very hard towards that, and I was kind of on a pathway to be in the consideration set for that some years later. Um but it's also, I guess, hearkening back to what I said about there is no straight line. I never thought about being editor. As it turns out, I never got to be managing editor, but I got to be editor. So it was never something that I expected to happen. When you were in Chicago, was there anything left of the storied tradition of Chicago journalism, the the dog-eat-dog um, hijinks and all of that? You know, I think that the the place had been – I think the profession had been professionalized. I mean, uh, the newsroom was professional. It was uh, ethical. Uh, I'd heard a lot of stories about reporters um, uh, masquerading as police detectives in order to get access to, you know, crime scenes or, or to prisoners or or information inside the offices of, of the police. Uh, almost the front page type – antics. Uh, I heard people talking about that, but I think those days uh, were gone. We certainly had legends uh, in the building. Uh, Mike Royko was uh, uh, certainly at the Sun-Times, but had come to the Tribune by then. Uh, Ann Landers, epiletterer, was uh, uh, working at the building. Some um, others that were newer generation, but Gene Siskel was there, Bob Green. So there were all those legendary figures who had stories from their past or from the eras that they uh, came to. Uh, I do believe that Chicago is still a a fantastic news town. 
It's always been a fantastic newspaper town. And I think that there's a lot of that kind of zeitgeist that's there. But uh, I think people conduct themselves professionally now. It was a 2008 uh, was a um, nightmarish time for the newspaper industry in general. Um, and it was um, the beginning, I think, of the, frankly, the darkest, most perilous moment in, I think, Chicago Tribune history as well. Um, I took the job because I, it was, I believe that I had some ideas that would help preserve uh, the core of public service journalism that uh, the Tribune and other big, great newspapers represented but that it was in, it was critical that we act upon them and that we they we do it now uh so went into the job it was a obviously hugely difficult time we had had an ownership change uh we'd gone from a public company to a private company uh with it came a whole new uh management whole different set of values and i'm talking about at the corporate level there was um, uh, uh, advertising revenue cratered. We were beginning to enter a, a dark recession, worst since the Great Depression. Um, and so it was a time that we had to re- rebuild ourselves. Uh, and that meant that we had to go to the proverbial white sheet of paper and say, if you know, what is our core mission what is the most important things that are the most important things that we do, and then be rigorous about building a an operation that was focused on those things. So we we could not be all things to all people uh, um, any longer, or attempt to be that any longer. And so we really re- rebuild ourselves on on a couple of ideas. Um, one is that we were we, we were going to diversify our portfolio of media. We were going to imprint on in, online and mobile, and uh, in which we did. We were going to become especially digitally focused. But we were going to build this on um, local investigative reporting. That was the most important thing that we could do, especially in a state that corruption um, is legendary in. Maybe I can tell a story about um, how what propelled us into that. And I've told this story many times um, in speeches and around around the um, region. Uh, December ninth, two thousand eight, was a was one of the most important days in Chicago Tribune history, and it was um, embodied on the front page of the paper that day. We reported that. Uh, that uh, Tribune Company, our parent company, uh, had filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Uh, and so that's obviously sent a shock through us and I think through the Chicago community as well as our readers about asking, well, does that mean that the Tribune is going to survive? Right next to it, uh, we broke a story that um, that, that day about the federal um, U.S. The US attorney – Patrick Fitzgerald's probe of Governor Rob Lagojevich now centering on uh, allegations that he sold the Senate seat just vacated by Barack Obama for campaign donations. 
and so the juxtaposition of those two stories, I think, told us what we had to do. We had to solve these economic problems in order to make sure that that kind of investigative reporting could live on. And it was an absolute exclamation point, moment of truth for us. And I gathered our team together and I said, no matter what we do, we have to make some hard decisions. And it will not make – some people will not be happy about it. But we have to ensure that you know, we're here to do that kind of work. We found out in the subsequent uh, – that day, later that day – when um, uh, Fitzgerald explained um, the charges against Blagojevich that the governor had um, targeted us at the Chicago Tribune, he wanted our editorial board fired and uh, or, you know, because we were all over him about things and critical of him. And so, as I've said, however bizarre that may have been and all, it it just showed us how important we were and how influential we could be to make this um, city and state better. So we did that. We we certainly had to reduce staff like other newspapers in the country did, but we rebuilt it. We actually increased our resources for investigative reporting and, and a certain kind watchdog reporting, which is holding government accountable. Um, and we said we wanted to have that in be the hallmark of the paper and have that every day. And we've come pretty close to doing that since then. In fact, we've done uh, front page watchdog investigative story every day, you know, over the last um, last couple of weeks. Uh, that's, I think, given us um, a focal point for what we've done. Uh, I think that we've also uh, taken a lead in terms of opinion uh, leadership. Uh, we've began publishing editorials on our front page and on our front of our website for the first time in 30 years. We've been leading campaigns for political reform, uh, you know, for uh, government reforms of various kinds, and we've been loud about it and we have been tough about it. And people have responded to that. Now, since then, in the in the two years that have unfolded since, we've actually been able to build back um, our staff. We're We've added about 15 percent. We've grown our staff by about 15 percent since April of 2009, and I don't know of another newspaper in the country that can say that. Uh, We've uh, expanded our local reporting. We've launched new publications. We're on a growth trajectory despite the hardships that we've gone through. So I'm very proud of the staff and how their grit and determination during this period of time. I guess I'm I'm puzzled a little bit – Many other newspapers would have wanted to do the same thing and have not succeeded. What's the secret? One of the things that we have at the Chicago Tribune is a critical mass. We started out with a pretty good-sized staff. And when you have those kinds of resources, you can reallocate them and you can re-engineer and do a lot of, a lot of things with that. I don't think we'd fallen down to some some point below critical mass, which made it different, which would make that difficult. And it made it was my goal to ensure that that didn't happen. So, for instance, you know, newspapers were cutting their staff sort of routinely across the board. We 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 decided we weren't going to do that. Uh, we re-engineered the you know newspapers are 
our um, and newsrooms. And I use the word newspaper. I mean newsrooms and the, and all the media that we publish are editor-intensive operations, Pro- a lot of production editing. We figured out how we could do um, production editing with fewer people and move those jobs to investigative reporting jobs. Um, we did that. We began to work with our partners um, in the company, the Los Angeles Times, on we consolidated our Washington bureaus and our foreign bureaus. It just made no sense for us to operate separate systems, and there were millions of dollars that could be uh, reallocated that way. We simply went through every dollar, every every person, every activity, and we zero-based it, and we asked ourselves, is it mission critical? Is it something that we add value by doing it ourselves? Uh, is it something that we can get from someplace else? Or do we stop doing it altogether? And we did that, and, and we did that in a period of about two months. And that freed up resources to be able to do these other things. We also made investments. We, you know, we, you know, and I credit our publisher, Tony Hunter. He understood that for us to succeed, we have to be the definitive source of news and information for and about Chicago. And we invested into that. We hired 20 new reporters to cover the region better. We hired, you know, a suburban watchdog team uh, of another 10. We, we made some investments knowing that that was important for us in the future. Who is your competition now? Our competition is anything, any device, any medium that takes information is communicated across and people spend time with. Our competition is not ink on paper newspapers. That's one of many. So you can get news and information uh, across your Xbox. That's a competitor. Uh, You can get news and information in all kinds of forms. You can get it certainly from Facebook. Uh, So we recognize people have choices. There's never been more information. The result has been that the news, great swaths of news have become commoditized. You know, it used to be that you could only get them from the newspaper, from television or radio. Now you can get them from everywhere. So what we had to do is say, we're going to focus on valuable, differentiated news that nobody can do better. We have to be great at doing a few things and make sure that people know that and can see the value in it. Uh, And we did that. And I think that helps us compete with any source of information. Am I correct that there are now two Chicago Tribunes, one for the city and one for the suburbs? No, there's um, actually more than that. When you talk about just ink on paper, uh, there's the Chicago Tribune that is most recognizable, the Colonel McCormick's newspaper, except for today. That's a broadsheet. Uh, and for those that don't know that, that's the kind of the wide, you know, that's the newspaper that unfolds and uh, every day has sections in it. Uh, we also publish simultaneously a tabloid version of that, which is, um, you know, compact form. Uh, we're the only, you know, local media company in the country that publishes simultaneously in both formats. That's on the newsstand. It's primarily a commuter edition, and that's, um, uh, you know, sold there. We publish another tabloid called Red Eye, which is for young urban professionals under 40. It's a free publication. 
And by the way, it's the largest circulation daily newspaper in the city limits of Chicago, larger than the Sun-Times, more papers circulate than the Sun-Times or the Chicago Tribune. We also publish OI, which is our Spanish language daily. You know, so we we publish a high school weekly newspaper for 150,000 kids in school. So we have um, followed fragmenting audiences by publishing multiple editions. There may be more in the future. On the digital side, we publish ChicagoTribune.com. Uh, we launched in this last uh, 18 months three breaking news centers, Chicago Breaking News, Chicago Breaking Sports, Chicago Breaking Business. We've launched a blog network called Chicago Now, which has, I think, upwards of 500 blogs on, on it. And um, and we've seen sort of a rocket ride of, of page views uh, on that. We've started a shopping channel. We have a weather center. I mean, we have launched many, many new vehicles to capture those fragmenting audiences. So we're not just a newspaper. Let's take a break here for some more music. On the list, I see you've chosen Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. You know, Hey Jude was a, it was an innocent time. I'm, I'm hearkening back to my college days. But it was, there was also some, you know, darkness and some threatening um, ideas out there, too. And I thought the Rolling Stones uh, represented that. for the Devil, music chosen by our guest on Profiles today, Gerald Kern, the editor of the Chicago Tribune. Where is the newspaper business going to be in, say, 10 or 15 years? It won't be the, and it, and it isn't now, the newspaper business. It's a, it's a media business. We have been through some really rocky times, as we talked about. And I think we've passed through those storms. And I think we became leaner and fitter for survival as a result. What's the old adage? That that doesn't kill you makes you strong. I think that's what happened with us. So I think we're much more grounded, much more innovative, quicker to action. But we are going to have to pick up the pace and we're going to have to understand that this fundamental transformation that we're undergoing is um, not going to stop. It's never going to stop. And so we have to, you know, embrace technology, follow fragmenting audiences, develop new media all the time, and understand that that, that's that's required of us. At the same time, I'll say I'm not a technologist. I 
believe it's essential to our success, but I think the magic is really in the content that we create and the job that we do for people. And I think as long as we do that and do that really well and understand what it is that's valuable, um, it doesn't matter what channel it's uh, sent through. So I think at the core of it is um, we've come up with six principles that guide us um, at the Chicago Tribune. And the first one is we stand up for the community. We act as a champion. We do the investigations. We hold our government accountable. We try to level the playing field. That, I think, is the most important thing that we can do. And I think there's never been a greater need for it. Uh, One of our principles is that we capture what the, the Chicago experience. And so that means you know, tell what it means to live, work, and play um, in this city at this time in history. We have to move people emotionally as well as intellectually. It's no good if we can't connect with people on uh, on an emotional plane as well as an intellectual one and get them to care about the people we write about and therefore care about us. We have to uh, help people navigate their daily lives. We have to fuel conversation And we must break news, not just report it. It's no longer sufficient just to report news that you can get from everywhere else. And I think that we've applied those to everything we do. So thinking ahead 10 or 15 years, if we've done that, that's providing a benefit to people that they will not be able to get from anywhere else and that they'll need. And as long as we keep those things in sight, I think we'll I think we'll be will be fine. It's just that the forms will be varied and different than they are right now. Is there a risk uh, in the the sense that newspapers used to reach a mass audience and in a way presented an agenda for common discussion? When things go into many different platforms, do we lose that common agenda? Um, I think that's an excellent question. I think uh, that is the choice of the marketplace, though. That's our choice as individuals to gain information in whatever form and time that we want. I think we just we have to deal with that. There's no reason, though, that you – even though the audiences have been splintered and that the channels are multifaceted, there's no reason why we cannot find common ground as long as common ground exists, right? I believe that human beings are – not much different today than maybe they were, I don't know, 100,000 years ago in terms of their needs. Certainly the culture and the civilization is different, but they still need the same things. They need to know where there's danger. They need, I think there's a sense of, of fairness they they want to see served. Um, they want their, you know, immediate practical pragmatic needs met. And so I think we are actually in, when I say we, the news industry is in um, excellent position to do that. And I think newspapers have been the torchbearer for setting a common agenda for the community for forever. Uh, In fact, I think that's even more of a role for us to play, you know, going forward than it has been. I think we've been reluctant to be the campaigner or the crusader for for reforms. We, We just have. And and I think if you look back at the history of newspapers in this country, they were they served the purpose of coalescing communities. 
and setting agenda and providing a forum. They were conveners. And I think our role as convener, uh, whether it's uh, virtual or in real time and space, in a world that's been atomized and fragmented, I think is a huge opportunity for us. I think we I think we have to embrace that and understand that we have to be more than just purveyors of news and information. We have to stand for something and help move people towards uh, goals. Do you see the day when the old-fashioned print product will disappear and we'll just get our basic newspaper on iPad or Kindle or something of that sort? I think that's possible. I don't think it's – I think it will be a while. I'm very interested in the in tablet technology. I think the iPad has been a revolutionary device um, and uh, I'm still – I you know, use it every day and I'm still experimenting and playing with it. But it seems to me that some version of a tablet that is going to come along um, you know, sh- shortly will begin to – be convenient enough uh, to use, and and then we'll integrate um, not only text but uh, video and all media. There'll be a convergence there. That will be very powerful um, as a source of uh, news information and interaction. Um, so I don't discount that. I think, and I think we need to get ready, uh, and we are now to use that. I still think that there's an experiential nature to ink on paper to print. That's the reason I think books are not going to disappear. Yes, I can read and I do read books on my iPad or my Kindle, but I still want to be able to pull that book down from a shelf and and feel it and touch it and and experience it that way. So I think that f- at some point there there may be a change in uh, what we expect in terms of the printed newspaper. Uh, it may be less frequent. It may, may be in a, in a more of a magazine form. It, that will be determined by the audience and the experience at once. Some point way out in the future, it may be that paper is not necessary any longer and that the devices that we are developing right now fully deliver that experience. I don't know. Some listeners might find me remiss if I didn't ask um, a question about – um, one of the political figures from Chicago, and that is Barack Obama, has as covering his um, government in the White House and being from Chicago presented you with particular problems. It, it's a fascinating moment in history to have the president of the United States from Chicago, um, and so there, are, Chicago connections are manifold not only in his. Um, presidency, but also in the people that he's brought with him to power, and the mayor who's now back. Yes, and so that makes Chicago one of the you know the nexus of some of the most fascinating political uh, stories in the country right now. Some of the difficulties I think are mostly in our own heads, and that is, okay, the president's from Chicago. Does that mean that everything the president does is? intensely interesting to people in Chicago? And I think the answer is no. We want to cover him and we want insight and depth and we want to be able to record history uh, in this special moment in history. But there's a lot of sausage making in, in the government, right? You need to have it. It needs to be there. But 
because Barack Obama happens to be the president doesn't necessarily add some special value to it, right? So we still have to keep our news judgments in place. It's just nothing but opportunity, and it's and it's a lot of fun. On the way out, we're going to listen to music by the Moody Blues. Where does that come in? That song um, was a lot about a personal exploration, people questioning at the time, you know, their place in the world, and also what they thought about um, inside their own heads. That brings us to the conclusion of this conversation. Our guest today has been Gerald Kern, editor of the Chicago Tribune. Jerry, thanks for being here. Thank you very much. Pleasure. To our listeners, we're pleased you joined us. For WFIU, I'm Owen Johnson. The program you just heard was recorded in March of 2011. The studio engineer and technical producer was Michael Paskash. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Copies of this or other programs can be obtained by calling 812-855-1357. Information about profiles, including archives of past shows, can be found on our website, wfiu.org. Profiles is a production of WFIU and comes from the studios at Indiana University. Mia Partlow, producer. Please join us again for the next edition of Profiles. For WFIU, thanks for listening.